is Ray Dinger. I'm Glenn Macnow. It is a brisk Sunday, final Sunday in February here in beautiful Philadelphia. Uh, coming up, by the way, at uh, around 11.25, what we're watching, we pushed it off from yesterday because we had uh, we wanted to celebrate James Harden's debut during our show yesterday. And, Ray, I'm going to review a four-part documentary I watched, just finished watching on Showtime, uh, W. Kimu Bell on um, Bill Cosby, which is compelling, and I'll mm. tell you why. Uh, and at noon, the best of Tell Us Your Story, definitely an episode you're going to listen to now, but... We're going to be doing this once a week from now up until the NFL draft. It is the Ray Dinger NFL Draft Preview. Well, this week is the uh, beginning of the NFL Combine, which is the annual uh, gathering of the college prospects, and they they all go to Indianapolis. This might be the last year in Indianapolis. You know that, right? No, where are they going? Uh, they're going to take it on the road. They're going to make it like the NFL draft. Yeah, they're so smart. So they're going to take. If they this, can monetize it. They sure will. Yeah, so they're going to take it all around and 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 have the NFL Combine in all the different cities and uh, sell tickets and put it on TV and you know market it the same way they market the draft. They are so good at this, the NFL. And we, you and I talked about this before the show because we have Elliot Shore Parks going after WIP, looking right. forward to his reports. And you used to cover this thing, but when you did, it was very different than now. Yeah, when I first started covering it, you the press wasn't allowed. I mean, we weren't allowed in the building to watch the drills. We had to sort of work the hotel lobbies and wait for the guys to come back and and hide behind the potted palms and <laughs> jump out and grab them and ask who looks good. I mean, that was how it was done. And then somebody finally said, well, this is silly. If the press is that interested, let's let them in and put it on television and make money off it. Oh, the ratings they get for watching people dance around cones is Unbelievable. It's huge. Yeah. It's huge. So, uh, I They're mean, smart. Boy, they are so smart. Yeah. I mean, the NFL Combine stuff gets higher. The NFL Combines on TV get higher ratings than, like, NBA regular season. Yeah, games. I know. It's crazy. But yep. anyway, it's all it's all getting underway, and it'll be everywhere soon. So just to give you a little just a little taste of what's coming up uh, and, and some idea, a little preview of some of the nonsense that you're going to hear, one of the big stories that's going to come out this week uh, and it's going to be talked to death, is Kenny Pickett, who's the uh, best, who I think is the best quarterback in this draft, probably going to go uh, the number one quarterback taken. But there's going to be a lot of talk about the size of his hands. Yeah. There's, <laughs> I mean, everybody is now all, con- they're now talked themselves into believing that Kenny Pickett's hands are too small, uh, that they're going to measure small, uh, and that as a result that his stock in the draft is going to drop, which to me is utterly silly. But I guarantee you're going to be hearing a lot about it because it started already at the Senior Bowl down in Mobile. Uh, the week of Senior Bowl practice, Kenny Pickett was having great practices and he played really good in the game. But all the talk during the week was, oh, yeah, we measured his hands. His hands are too small. It is so nonsensical. I will tell you the last quarterback in the draft where this was an issue, where there was a lot of conversation about, oh, geez, I don't know. I think his hands might be too small. Smith? It was Joe Burrow. Oh, Joe Burrow. Now, is, you think okay. Joe Burrow has trouble playing in the NFL? I don't think so. And before him, the other guy who was ta- to talk about, gee, I, I think his hands are, might be too small, was Matthew Stafford. And these were the two quarterbacks of the Super Bowl this year. These are two guys that got their quarterbacks of the Super Bowl this year. So I don't think the hand size was an issue. But I guarantee you, you are going to hear that discussion with Kenny Pickett from Pitt, and it's not going to matter a bit. When it's all said and done, he's going to be a first-round draft pick. Probably a top 15, maybe even a top 10. But in my view, he is, hand size regardless, he is the best quarterback in this draft. And the other thing that's going to be coming out of this 
uh, and I think this is really interesting, is going to be the testing uh, and the evaluation between the two best pass rushers, Kayvon Thibodeau and Aiden Hutchinson. Mm -hmm. um, these are the two guys, to me, are they are 1-1-A in terms of the best pass rushers in this draft. And a draft that is very deep and very strong in pass rushers. Thibodeau from Oregon and Hutchinson from Michigan are the two best. And a lot's going to happen here when teams are going to go through the whole testing process, the testing, the measuring process, the eval that part of the evaluation. And this is where I think Thibodeau, when t teams begin to evaluate him, whether he works out in Indy, which he may or may not, but he'll certainly have an individual workout, I think he's going to test great. He's going to run great. His vertical is going to be great. He's going to all those tests. I think he will test out extremely well. I think he will probably test out better than Hutchinson. But then it comes down to the decision of, okay, if he tested better, but if you look at the tape, who's really the better player? Mm -hmm. Who's the more consistent player? To me, that's an easy one. To me, that's Hutchinson. But I'm telling you, whether it begins in Indianapolis, some guys work out, some guys don't. But at some point, he's going to have both of these guys are going to have individual workouts. All the teams are going to be there. All the teams are going to test them. They're going to run their 40. They're going to do their verticals. They're going to run the cones. They're going to do all that stuff. And I do think the Thibodeau will probably test better than Hutchinson. And some teams may move him ahead of Hutchinson on the board. Mm -hmm. But if you go to what I always go to, look at the tape. Watch him play. If you watch him play, Hutchinson is far, by far the better player. But don't be surprised if after all the testing and all the evaluations go by, that when you come into the draft, some draft boards are probably going to have Kayvon Thibodeau of Oregon as their top pass rusher. You give me the choice, I'll take Hutchinson every day. Okay. Um, anybody in particular that Eagles fans might want to be looking at with those three picks they have in the middle of the first round? Well, uh, I think it depends on, on your position. Again, I, I'm, I am one of the people that's in favor of keeping the picks and drafting defensive players and rebuilding the defense because – I really do feel that this is an extraordinarily strong draft on defense. And for a team that really needs to rebuild its defense and get younger and faster on defense, you have a tremendous opportunity this year to really change the face of your defense here. And so that's what I would do. And with my first three picks, and they're, again, they're picking 15, 16, 19, yeah. I mean, you're in prime position right there to get yourself at least one good pass rusher, one really good pass rusher, a linebacker, and a defensive back. Address it at all three levels. And one of the guys that I really – I know you're not going to get Hutchinson. Right. You're not going to get Thibodeau. No. They're no, going no, to be no, gone. No. But I, I really like Jermaine Johnson. I really like him. I mean, he's a, he's a kid that's really come on, started at Georgia, transferred to Florida State, had a big year at Florida State, and then went down to the, uh, went down to the Senior Bowl in Mobile and just tore it up for a week. I think he's a guy that's probably going to be right there in that 15-16 range. Really good pass rusher. I like him a lot. And I've been saying it before, and I've been saying it again. Uh, Nakobe Dean to me. Yeah, you is, mentioned his name a lot. He's a terrific linebacker yep. from, from Georgia. Um, Devin Lloyd is the other linebacker from Utah. Um, he's also a very good player. People can have an argument about who's the best linebacker. I would take Dean, but I could certainly live with Devin Lloyd as well. All right, good stuff, Ray. And we will be doing that every week coming up to the By the way, I'm looking at a story here about quarterbacks' hands. And I guess these the – the thing they look at is the average size for an NFL quarterback is a 10-inch wingspan of your hands, mm -hmm. right? And they say among those whose hands measured under that, small hands, mm -hmm. Aaron Rodgers, Tony Romo, Mike Vick, Patrick Mahomes. 
Right. And Patrick Mahomes, when Joe Burrow went through all this stuff a year or two years ago, right. wrote, uh, he sent, he, he put out a tweet specifically to Joe Burrow that said, don't worry, my hands are doing all right so far. I believe in you. Mm-hmm. So, so there. So there you go. One of the one of the all time great passers, one of the best long deep ball passers that I've ever seen, was Norm Van Brocklin, who won a championship here with the Eagles. Yeah, and he had famously small hands. I yeah. mean, he had tiny little, hands. little doll hands. In fact, in fact, his nickname was Stub Stubby oh, because his geez. fingers were so small. So I mean, they could have a golf show. So that's why this whole nonsense. I mean, they're going to do it again, and they're going to do it, and it's going to drive Kenny Pickett crazy. Uh, and it may influence some people's willingness to draft him or not. But to me, it, it's very simple. If you watch the tape, and listen, he's a guy that played at Pitt. He played in cold weather. He played in bad weather. Mm-hmm. It's not like he played in a dome or in the south. I mean, he's played in enough bad weather and thrown the ball in enough bad weather that if the hand size was an issue, you would have seen it by now. Okay. Uh, let's talk to Sam in Langhorn. Hey, Sam, you're on with Ray and Glenn. Good morning, gentlemen. Hey. Just want to say your show is the best show on WIP. All right, very nice. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Sam. However, I disagree with both your uh, suggestions about baseball, improving baseball. Number one is baseball presently constituted, raising the strike zone, which I always was in favor of. With this launch angle business, I think you'll see more strikeouts. Secondly, as far as the shift goes, my idea is to deaden the baseball. If you deaden the baseball su- sufficiently, not to eliminate home runs. However, a 160-pound guy hitting a 450 home run is ridiculous. So yeah, but I don't know angle. how that relates to the shift. Well, well, once you get rid of this launch angle and home run swing, ball players starting in high school and college were going to have to adapt to hit the ball and make contact and possibly hit to the other field and bunt and steal bases. So you you. Yeah, but and I hear you, and I think you have a bit of a valid point, but I also think that you have to look that it isn't just guys going for home runs. I don't know if you heard my Freddie Freeman quote before. Freddie Freeman hits home runs, but he's a line drive hitter. He's my favorite favorite ball player. Okay, and did you hear what he said about the shift? No, not, I don't think. Okay, that's okay. In Jason Stark's story uh, in The Athletic, which is what I was reading, Freddie Freeman said, uh, you know what, let me just see if I can find his quote real quick. Yeah, sure. So I can, okay, he said, um, you're talking about that rover in right field. He said, it's very rare that I hit one into that shift. It's the one up the middle is the one that gets me. Because they what they do is they'll play two guys on the right side and the shortstop behind second base. And he said, um, I've been taught my whole life to hit a line drive up the middle, and now I'm out. If you eliminate that, if you keep the shortstop on the left side of the bag, I will get more hits. Line drive hitters will get more hits. It's not just the Ryan Howards anymore who it affects. Right. They they do, and thanks for the call, Ray. They now have so much research on every batter, on every pitch, that they'll know. Oh, it's Ray Dinger. It's a three and one count. If we throw Ray Dinger a curveball in a three and one count, he's likely to hit it to exactly this spot. Mm-hmm. So we'll have all of our fielders move to that spot. Right. The science, the math, baseball. Baseball, unfortunately, and I, listen, I'm not. I don't want to rant against analytics because I've always valued it. But baseball turned itself over to math and stopped being about art and about sport. And so, therefore, they they know so well what you can do, what you can't do, that they can just stop you. Sure. And that's, that's the, the, to me, the real curse of the shift. Yeah, and, Sam, and Sam's point about the, the high strike, the, the letter high strike with the launch angle swing today, that guys will have more strikeouts. That's not exactly the pitch I'm talking about. I'm saying 
take the strike zone up there. Give that, you know, create, make that the top of the strike zone. But my big problem is the strike zone has so shrunk now that you see, if you're watching from the center field camera, there are pitches that are belt high. Yeah. That are called balls. It's unbelievable. I mean, they're belt high pitch. That and that's you know that's that's a pitch you got to swing at. That's a pitch that I don't care what your launch angle is. If you get a belt high pitch and you want to swing at it, you can hit it. And that's what I'm talking about. I'm not necessarily talking about pitches at the letters, which I'll give you that too. But the one that kills you is a, a pitch at the belt level that's called a ball. That shouldn't be. All right. Can I give you another change I want to see? Sure. And this, again, I'm stealing all my material today from our friend Jason Stark. Well, I can't think of a better place to steal it. <laughs> right. kind of inspired me for this. He wrote a piece uh, a couple weeks ago about what the NFL playoffs should be teaching baseball. And it was kind of he looked at different things that were occurring when the NFL was having these stretch of great playoff games. Right. And kind of saying, you know, baseball might want to look at this. And one, and, and look, I'm certainly not the first to say this, nor is Jason, but it's a really good one. Start your postseason games earlier. Right. Make it that every postseason game doesn't start with the first pitch at 8.25 p.m. And so, and games are three and a half hours. And so the game's ending at midnight. Right. Never, never mind 12-year-olds staying up for it. Most adults aren't staying up to midnight to watch the end of a baseball game. Right. And I know you're not going to start every postseason game at 1 in the afternoon like when I was a kid, right? I remember the best teacher was the one. When you were a kid, did they used to have the one black and white TV in school and they would, like, push it into the room? No. Okay, well, we had that. <laughs> we, we, but the Sorry, right? I forgot you went to school at the Flintstones. The best we would, the best we would do is we would get the radio. Okay, well, we had a, they had the TV because they would show you the, you know, educational stuff on the TV in class. And so they would wheel the – if you had a really cool teacher, he or she would wheel the TV in because it's the World Series and the, you know, the Orioles are playing the Dodgers or whatever, and the game starts at 1 o'clock with Joe Garagiola. And they'd wheel it in, and, like, it's like, okay, everybody, you know, kind of – I'm sure it was more for the teacher than for us. The teacher's probably a baseball fan, but we thought it was for us. It's like – Everybody, you know, kind of take out your books and you look at the books, but you, you can watch the game too. And it was great. Anyway, we're not going to go back to that, and that's fine. But maybe like the Sunday World Series games. Well, there's football, so you're not going to do those. But whatever. A couple World Series games, Saturday. Mm-hmm. You start it during the day. You know, maybe you start one depending on what stadium you are playing in. The time zone start at 5 or 6 o'clock mm-hmm. so that a kid comes home from school can watch the game, can see the end of the game before he's got to go to bed. Make sense? Yeah, I don't like the 5 or 6 o'clock start, though. I don't like I, – I mean – I love the 5 o'clock start. Oh, jeez. They did a couple of those during the pandemic. Remember they were starting games early during the pandemic? Yeah, I, I hate the shadow. I, 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 well, that's what I'm saying. depends on the time zone you're in. Right. Okay. I, I If you're in the Eastern and it's like all of a sudden batters can't see for two innings, that's fine. But if you're in the West Coast, the 5 o'clock there is, is – you know, is it five o'clock here is two o'clock there. You can do it. Do you ever do you ever play baseball where there's a shadow between the oh, mound yeah. and the front uh, plate? Uh, oh yeah, you, you can't see. You cannot thing. see the ball. Yeah. I was a little league catcher. The ball disappears. Yeah, I played catcher in little league, and I did it. I would I would like not see the ball. Ha- you would panic because it's like coming at me. Yeah, and I wouldn't see it. I know. It, I I got that, but you understand what I'm saying? Oh yeah, I mean, listen. One of the things that bothers me about all all professional sports is the the, the times. They are slaves to television. If, yep. te- if television tells you, to, hey, you're playing the game at 2 in the morning, guess what? They'll play 2 in the morning. Yes, but the NFL had night games in the playoffs but had day games in the playoffs as well. Right. And, like, can we do some of that? Oh, I, I would 
fully be in favor of that. And I've talked about it on here. If I owned the Phillies, I mean, every Saturday home game would be a day game. I would play my weekend games Saturday and Sunday. Both would be day games. Mm-hmm. They, that's, you know, I think that, that that's a great opportunity to get kids to the game. Yeah. Saturday night games just to me are, are just a huge waste of an opportunity to get oh. kids into the ballpark. Yes, I hear you. Uh, Robert in Germantown, you're on with Ray and Glenn. Hey, Robert. Hey, guys. How are you doing today? All right. So a quick trivia question. Uh, I know you wrote a wonderful book about sports and movies. Uh, I became a New York Yankees fan in Winnipeg, Manitoba at age nine because of a movie that starred Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris. Safe at home, right? Yep, that's the one. And they had such wonderful characters Good back work, then. How, yeah, Yogi <laughs> Bear. Yogi Bear. I don't know if that made your book, but uh, it turned me into a Yankee fan. And, and living in New York for several decades, um, I loved watching players like Ricky Henderson. You know, steal bases, uh-huh. bunch his way on. Uh, grew up watching TV, Lou Brock stealing yeah. bases. You know who I loved Tim, in that era? I loved Tim Raines. He was my favorite yeah. of, of that Tim. kind of player. I loved Tim Raines. Yeah. So, I'm, you know, and I'll tell you another quick story. I'm, I'm in Chicago going to seminary at Notre Dame, and I was there when Mike Schmidt had, what was that score? You guys remember, 17-something? Oh, I think 23 to 22 or yeah, something? I think it was 24-23. Yeah. Yeah, I was at that game. But here's the point. Back then, it was wonderful, Ray. It's one thing I disagree with you guys. I don't mind the long game. I'm kind of a Zen Buddhist. I could sit on a nice afternoon. And in Chicago in those days, you remember, didn't have lights. It was marvelous. All the games were afternoon games. Right? Well, you got several things going here, okay? Uh, we, yeah. we agree we like afternoon games, but they're not going to all be afternoon games. That's just not going to happen. I can't go in the afternoon <laughs> most of the time. Uh, however... Long games are good when there's a lot going on, when they're really exciting. Right. If it's a long, well, that's fine. But the problem with baseball is it's a three-and-a-half-inning game, and there's no, there's no plays. It's three-and-a-half innings because they're changing the pitcher every five seconds, and it's three-and-a-half right. innings because the batter keeps stepping out of the box. It's not yeah. like you're getting three-and-a-half hours of action. No, I'm, I'm with you guys. I, Dad and I loved the days when, like, who was that pitcher who won 30 games? Danny McLean, right, for the Tigers back yep, in the day? 1968. Uh, are you the gentleman, by the way, who sent us these books? Is that correct? That would be me. I hope oh, you enjoy them. We just got them today, as a matter of fact, and I really that was very nice of you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Robert. Well, well no, I, I know you love beer, beer, Glenn, and I saw those in a used bookstore in Chestnut Hill, and I said, well, here's a man who loves his beer and is a connoisseur. You deserve to have something like that, along with all your sports books. Well, it was, um, it was very, it was very nice of you, and and much appreciated. It was very nice. Yeah, yeah. Beers of the world. Mm-hmm. It's a handsome book. A, had yeah. you had you ever seen it before? I don't believe I have. There you go, coffee table book. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going through this book like had it, need it, had it, need it. And he also sent me the uh, the autobiography of Al Michaels, which I had already read, but I've now bequeathed to you. Yeah. I highly recommend it. Al Very Michael's nice. book is, as those books go, those autobiography memoir type things, that's really one of the better ones. It's quite good. 215-592-9494. We're looking forward to your calls. It's funny. We started talking about James Harden and the Sixers and that Ben Simmons has this sudden back injury that's going to keep him from playing for who know how long. Well, certainly through March 10th, we agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd love to get some more calls on that as the Sixers play the Knicks coming up in under two hours. Uh, we've talked some baseball today, which is always good. Uh, we have our best of Tell Us Your Story at noon coming up next. Uh, what we're watching, and I'm going to tell you about a, a compelling documentary that I think you should, four-part series, 
I think everybody should uh, should watch. 215-592-9494 with Ray Dinger. I'm Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP.